Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. Uh, first, it gives me an opportunity to thank you all for all the support you've shown to my family and I and our ministry down in Pitcairn. It's been a real blessing. Uh, it's created a lot of work, but it's been a blessing. And uh, speaking of work, I'll also shamelessly put in a plug. We're painting Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week. So if anybody's, anybody's uh, got some free time, uh, get a hold of me because there's a lot of painting to do. But uh, let's go from the mundane to the sublime and talk about the Word of God. Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. Joshua, chapter 1. Joshua is one of my, uh, really a go-to book for me because I think it's more than just a collection of ancient stories or accounts. Uh, Joshua really is a, uh, it's a, it's a foreshadowing of something that was to come. God's call on Egypt to go, or, or on Israel to go into the promised land, uh, to take possession of the land, in, in many ways was a foreshadowing of His call to us to take dominion over the world that He's placed us in. And so there's much to be learned here, and I think there's much help to be found as we do our calling before God. So let's look this morning, Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the great desert to Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west." No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be strong and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. What are you afraid of? If you say nothing, please forgive me, don't be offended, but I don't believe you. If you say nothing, it's it's because either you've suppressed your fears or you have no idea what's out there. For some of us, it's simple things, spiders, they kind of freak me out, but it gets a lot worse. Failure, cancer, death. 
When we think of the things that frighten us, things we're afraid of, we typically think of things out there that we just kind of have to steel ourselves against that are going to be coming against us, and so we kind of gird up our courage and stand firm and just wait for them to come. But I think there's something far more frightening than the things out there coming against us. Especially for believers. You know what I think tends to frighten believers more than anything? It's what God has told us to do. And what God has called us to be. And if that doesn't frighten you, again, number one, I don't believe you. Or second, you don't understand what it is He's called us to do. Think about Joshua for a minute. Joshua has been Moses' assistant for a long time. He's done whatever Moses told him to do. His days were actually fairly simple. Maybe not easy, but he got up in the morning. He was told what to do. He did it. Life was good. But now Moses is dead. And now Joshua rises up and he looks out across a sea of stubborn, obstinate people. And God says to him, number one, you're in charge. And then he looks the other direction and he sees a land filled with armies and fortified cities. And God says, now you're going to conquer them with these stubborn, obstinate people who have no military background. You think he was afraid? I'll guarantee it. But the calling God gives to us as His children is no less frightening, folks. Let's just talk about what He expects of us in terms of character. I'd encourage you to go back and just take a quick gander back through the Sermon on the Mount today in your spare time. We're to love those who persecute us and hurt us and pray for them. We are to surrender our rights to people who would trample over us for the sake of showing them the love of Jesus. Jesus actually goes so far as to say, if anyone would come after me, he must lay down his life and take up my cross daily and follow. And so when it comes to character, Jesus says, when you follow me, everything you have gets laid down. It's now all mine. And he says, your calling is now to follow me. And where do we follow him? Well, here in Matthew 28, 16 through 20, the, the verses that Barrett read earlier, he, he said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to do the same thing Joshua did. He says, you're going to conquer the world. Only it's not going to be through a physical battle. It's going to be through a spiritual battle. He says, there's a whole world out there that is mine and it knows me not and your job is to make me known. By living before me in the way that I've called you to live. By being what I've called you to be. And by going into the world. That's scary. It's scary stuff. But the great thing about God and the wonderful thing about this passage, he says, you don't have to be afraid. And this morning what we're going to do is, is, if you will, build a case for courage. Why is it that we do not have to be afraid as we do the things God has called us to do? And in these nine verses, 
God gives us four reasons that we don't have to be afraid. The first is this. He says, you do not have to be afraid because I am with you. He says it throughout this, ver- this passage. says it throughout the Scripture. I am with you. And it's important for us to internalize that because loneliness, the feeling of isolation, is so damaging, so deadening to our spirits. When we feel like we are alone, whether it's in our personal lives, whether it's in our calling, it's very simple to come to the point where we feel like there is nobody who understands, nobody who is there to care for me, nobody there to help me. And we've all felt that. It's kind of like Elijah. I love Elijah for this one account of the Old Testament. Elijah has gone and done battle with the prophets of Baal. Remember that story? The prophets of Baal build their altars to their God, Baal, and Elijah builds his, 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 his altar to God. And the prophets of Baal spend all day crying out to their gods, cutting themselves, pleading for fire to light their altars, and nothing happens. And when they have finished and given up, Elijah simply lifts his eyes unto the Lord and calls upon Him and says, fire falls out of heaven and consumes not only the altar, the wood on the altar, but the, fire, the water around it and the altar itself. Now, now that's a That's, that's a victory. That's overwhelming. There the power of God has not only been poured out through Elijah, but it's been there for everybody to see. You think he's feeling pretty good about things? He probably is until Jezebel finds out and she says, I'm going to kill you. And so Elijah runs away, hides on a mountain, and throws himself a major pity party. Woe is me. And he complains to God. Anybody ever done that? You ever complain to God? I do. He says to God, after everything I've done for you, everything you've asked me to do, won this great victory, and now I'm going to die. And then he says, and I'm the only one left who is faithful. I love that account because... I've probably copied his words more than once. But God comes to Elijah and he tells him two things. Or he does two things. First of all, he shows Elijah his glory. And he says, first of all, do you have any more complaining to do? And second, he says to Elijah, and this is the Parsons translation, I freely admit it. He says, grow up and get back to work. Not only am I with you and you are not alone, he says, there are 7,000 other people in Israel who worship me and do what I ask them to do. And you know, all of that I think is important for us to understand because in the calling that God gives to us, We're not alone. It's an extraordinary thing that the same God who spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses now speaks to Joshua and says, I am your God. 
And that same God speaks to us. He speaks to us in ways, believe it or not, that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joshua could not ever have imagined. It's true, we don't hear his voice, so I've, I've often asked. We don't hear his voice, but we have so much more. We have the awareness that He, God Almighty, has given His Son who has purchased us by His blood and made us His children. And He has sealed that reality by giving us His Holy Spirit in our hearts to live in us and with us, to encourage us and strengthen us. We have more than the Old Testament patriarchs could ever dream of. And we have the promise of God that you don't need to be afraid following me in this world because I'm with you. We have four biological sons and they were all born just, just one after the other. When they were little, they loved to roughhouse with dad and eventually every wrestling match turned into me throwing them in the air. And they loved that. You know, you pick them up and you toss them up in the air and then you come down and, and we lived across the street from Kim's parents and as soon as that started you could almost just, just count the seconds until the shades went down. <laughs> Grandma did not like to see her babies flying. And then pretty soon I would hear the door shut of our house because Kim got a little worried about it too. She knew better than to say anything. She just shut the door and pretended like everything was fine. And sometimes we would get a little carried away. They'd get a little too high. They would start to twist or bend while they were in the air. And as they were coming down, I got afraid. What if I drop one of them? You know who was never afraid? It was the boys. The ones who were in dire danger were never afraid. Because they had absolute confidence that their daddy would never, ever drop them. Now, as they've gotten into their 30s and have kids of their own, they know they were fools. <laughs> but you see, we are in the hands of an eternal God who not only will never drop us, He cannot. He says, therefore, don't, I suggest you not be afraid. He says, I command you, don't be afraid, because I'm with you. And it's not just that he's with us that is our cause for courage. He also says, you don't have to be afraid, because I go before you. When God makes us his own and calls us and sends us about his business, he never sends us anywhere where he hasn't already gone before us. If you look a couple of chapters ahead in Joshua, Joshua sends some spies into the land. And they find out two things. Number one, even before Israel has crossed the river into the promised land, it says their hearts are already melting with fear. Isn't that amazing? These well-armed uh, armies behind fortified cities were melting with fear of this ragtag group on the other side of the river. And second, when things began to get hot on that side of the river, they find that God had already prepared them Rahab, who not only hid them and covered for them, but provided them a way out. God always goes 
before us. And what is amazing to me is in verse 3. Listen to these words that God says to Joshua. I will give you every place where you set your foot. And you see, here's the thing. Israel was not being asked by God to conquer the promised land. The promised land already belonged to God. And God had already told Israel, I'm giving it to you. All they had to do was be faithful to go. He says, wherever you set your foot, it will be yours. Because the land is mine and I am giving it to you. Now that doesn't mean it will be easy. There were still battles to be fought. And men would die. And children would be left fatherless. And widows would grieve. God never said there will be no suffering or struggle or danger in following me. But what he says is not only am I with you, he says, but I will go before you to prepare the way. And it's the same for us. Jesus said we are to go into the world with the gospel. But understand, he's not sending us anywhere that he hasn't already gone before us. And he's not asking us to change the world. That's not our job. Jesus' job is to change the world. It is his, it's His world, and His Spirit resides in it. It is His Holy Spirit that opens the hearts and minds of people, that brings them to faith. He doesn't ask us to conquer the world. He simply asks us to go and be faithful. To tell the world what we know, what we have experienced, that there is a God in heaven who loves us so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross of Calvary. And if you will believe, and if you will accept that, you will find redemption, and you will find forgiveness of sins, and you will find God as your Father. All He calls us to do is be faithful, trusting that He goes gone before us. His Holy Spirit is preparing the way. Is it hard? Yes. Doesn't mean that everything will be nice for us if we do it. Absolutely not. We may well be rejected. We may well be hurt. We may well be killed. But God is with us. Number three, we can be strong and courageous because God has given us His Word. The word that God refers to as He's talking to Joshua is the law that Moses gave to them. And we think, when we think about the law, we tend to think about a list of do's and don'ts. If you follow God, this is what you do on this side, and this is what you don't do. And if you do the things you're supposed to do, and you stay away from the things you don't, God's going to like you. And, and everything's going to go great in your life. And, and, and that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. That is absolutely nothing to do with what the law is about. You see, the law is about two things. Number one, the law is about God revealing Himself to us. Revealing His glory, revealing His wonder and His goodness, wanting us to see Him for who He is, give Him the place that He deserves in our lives and worship Him in the way that He deserves. And so in the law, God reveals Himself to us, but then He also reveals to us what He wants us to be as His children. You see, He wants our lives to reflect His goodness and His glory. 
He wants us as we go into this world to be images of His glory. And so He shows us what that looks like and gives us a deep and abiding love for Him that desires to be as He is. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a list of opportunities to understand our sin and put it off and to become more and more like Him. And as we do that, we go into the world understanding that the greatest focus of my life is not my own needs, it's not the dangers in the world around me, but it's, it's my Father. And it's Jesus. When we keep our focus on Him, the fears begin to fade and the distractions go away. That's why God says to Joshua, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Folks, that's why this is so important. This is not just a textbook for sermons. This is not just something that we go to when we're in trouble to try to find some relief. This is the revelation of God to us telling us who He is and how much He loves us and what He wants us to be. And the more we are here, the more our eyes are focused upon Him. And the more our eyes are focused upon Him, God says to Joshua, when you do not depart to the left or to the right, then you will be successful. Then the fear fades away. Because we're afraid when we're not looking at Him. But when we're focused on Him, it's different. You know, I worked in the mining industry for 10 years before I went in to ministry. And one of the last jobs that I had in the years that I was there was operating a, a large piece of equipment called a wheel, that uh, massive wheel that had buckets on it that would turn and the buckets would dig the dirt, dump it onto a belt that would haul it off to another place. And one day the machine quit. And this massive bearing that turned the bucket had gone bad. And so they bring cranes in, they take the bucket off of the machine, they haul it up to the big machine shop we had, lay the thing down, we extract the old bearing, and the new one is special ordered, and finally it comes in this massive round brass bearing. And with a lot of fanfare and a lot of holding of breath, it is set precisely in place. But there's no press large enough to seat this thing, so it has to be done by hand. And I'm the operator, and it's my job to at least get it started and get it straight. And my tools are a large brass drift, brass pole, and a five-pound sledgehammer. And so there's about 30 people around, and they're watching. I'm a young man, and I set that brass drift down just the right spot, and I take that hammer, and bam, just right. Go about two feet down, and I set that hammer down, or brass drift, and and I start my way around, and you get into a rhythm. You know, chink, bam, chink, bam. And you start working your way around, and at first everybody's quiet, but as things start going well, everybody gets, you know, kind of goofy. You get 30 guys, you have nothing to do, they start horsing around and making jokes and various things. And I'm, I'm doing my thing, and man, I'm focused. But something happened, I don't know what it was, got me just a little bit distracted. And in my rhythm, chink, Bam! Came chink, thud. And I dropped that hammer squarely on my thumb. And there's this gasp. <gasps> and everybody holds their breath, just waiting to laugh. 
Okay. I won't give them the satisfaction. Without batting an eye, I pick that hammer up again, and this time I'm focused. Okay. Give that hammer a mighty swing, and I am so focused, but the problem is, I'm not focused on the end of that brass drift. I'm focused on my throbbing thumb. And I drop that hammer straight down on my thumb for a second time. And this time there's no gasping. This time there is just uproarious laughter as people are rolling on the floor. And I simply set my tools down and turned around and walked away. What happened? I was perfectly capable of doing it. I just lost my focus. And you see, every time we falter, folks, I will guarantee you the reason is we have lost our focus on Jesus. Because we tend to focus on the things that matter least and we are so easily distracted. We focus on the things of this world. (laughs) The things that we think we so desperately need. Jesus, I would love to go, but I can't right now because I've got my house payment and I have to take care of my house. Or Jesus, I can't do that right now because I'm saving for retirement. And and if I do that right now, that's going to jeopardize my retirement. Father, I would love to be obedient in worship right now, but you know, my kids are young and and they just can't survive without that travel soccer team. And, And we'll get to church back when they're 15 or 16 and they get finished with soccer. And we go through a long litany of things that we think are so important to our comfort, to our well-being. And we lose our eyes off of Jesus and His desire for us and His calling on our lives. And while we may not fall into fear, we suppress that. We certainly fall into indifference. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you cannot let The book of the law depart from your mouths. You have to meditate on it day and night, and then you will be successful. In His glorious grace, He has not only deigned to be with us and go before us, but He's given us His own guide to keep us focused on Him. And then finally, He says, you don't have to be afraid because I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. of everything He promises that might be the most overwhelming. And we struggle with that. I struggle with that. What does that mean? Because we have no experience with that in our own lives. Everything in this world will leave or forsake you. Every person in this world will leave or forsake you. I don't care how long you're married together. Somebody's going to die sometime. Every institution has a beginning and an end. Everything we put our hope in in this world will pass away. But God does not. Everything has a beginning and an end except God. Everything has a beginning and an end except His love for us. That, He says, is eternal And it's so critical because we put our hopes and trust again in the things of this world. It's praise, it's security, it's comfort. To the extent that we believe there is something wrong with God or our lives if one of those things is missing. 
Stock market crashes and we wonder, God, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> Don't we? Our child becomes sick. God, why are you doing this to me? Eternal love tells us that the world around us is simply a shadow. Do we get that? This is not the reality. What is yet to come is the reality. This is the shadow. Nothing here has eternal significance. Nothing matters except the love of God and His call on our lives. That's why Luther was able to write so long ago that goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body, they may kill. But God's truth abides still. If you're His child, He loves you and He has called you. Be strong and courageous. Let nothing in this world stand in your way. Have courage to follow because He is with you. He goes before you. He's given you His word. And He'll never leave you or forsake you. Think about that. Amen.